Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan and thank you for joining us today. What I am going to talk about with you today has been heavy upon my heart for a while. The Lord encouraged me to start this podcast ministry as an extension of his purpose in my life, which is my calling to equip the saints, hence the name of the podcast. I'm not big on formalities or lengthy introductions, so I'll just get straight to the point. I try not to have my discussions be like an online recipe, you know. Have you ever tried looking up a recipe online? You have to scroll past paragraphs upon paragraphs of fluff and shameless self-promotion before you get to the list of ingredients. And that's what I'm really there for. So, for your sake, let's get down to business. This is the month of June, and especially in America, June is Pride Month. And along with all the many other corrupt social constructs in America right now, I think it's appropriate to address them at this time. In obedience to God's command, I cannot be silent on these matters. So this episode will be looking more at pride as a whole and who is behind all of it. But I will be more specific in upcoming episodes on particular topics. So for the sake of argument, consider this as more of an introduction. If I don't address these things openly, I appear to quietly condone it. And let me be clear that I will not tolerate something that God is opposed to. And I will not have silent opposition to it either. It has to be said. So, let me start by asking you some basic questions. I don't want to assume too much about your awareness of the state of things, where you are in your Christian walk. But where we need to stand as Christians needs to be established, and all confusion needs to be cleared now. So, let me start with this very first question. Is pride bad? The answer is yes, it is very bad. Especially being proud of anything that is ungodly and anti-Christ. Pride is ultimately the worship of self. And the worship of self is idolatry. And it leads to many of the issues that we have in the world today. But what does God say about pride? Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. That's coming from God's mouth. He hates that. Psalm 10.2-4 says, In pride the wicked hotly pursued the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of its heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. In the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Proverbs 21.4 says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, which are the lamp of the wicked, are sin. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, 
and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And before I go any further, what does that mean, the world? Are we talking about creation? Are we talking about the universe? Or what? In the Bible context, when it talks about the world, it's talking about the systems of the world that we have created for ourselves, or that the forces behind the scenes have created. Not about God's creation in general, but more of the social constructs and the other um, systems put into place. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Do I really need to keep going? Because there are many other verses like this. But I think we've made ourselves very clear up until now. God hates pride and boasting. Unless one is boasting in the Lord. So let me ask you the next question. As Christians, are we at war? Absolutely. We are at war every day. And the enemy is very good at convincing you otherwise or distracting you from the reality around us. If the world seems quiet to you or the things of this world don't really bother you, you seriously need to reevaluate whether you belong to God or not. I highly recommend reading the book of 1 John in this case, since practically the entire epistle is a spiritual self-evaluation. So, who is our enemy? Ephesians 6.12 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Where's heaven? It's in the spiritual world. Simply put, our struggle is not against other human beings. We were all made in the image of God, so we by no means should hate each other for any physical reason. In fact, when Jesus was asked what are the greatest commandments, what did he say? He said, one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? He went into a whole parable about that. But your neighbor is every human being. Every human being. We should not have a problem with each other just because we're human beings. We should have a problem with the spiritual side of things. The struggle takes place in the spiritual world. And who leads this spiritual world? We're talking about the invisible, demonic forces of Satan. Because we are called by God and removed from Satan's control on the world, he hates us, and he seeks our destruction as long as we live. And this is where you get the term spiritual warfare from. So, how bad are things right now? Are you aware that the world is in great danger due to the increasing evil around us? If we are paying attention at all, it should be very obvious that something is happening on a global scale. In America, it is painfully obvious, but this is happening all over the world right now. What I've come to realize over the last few years is that the evil around us has always been there, but has kept itself more quiet 
and mostly out of the public eye. And Satan and his demons typically like to work behind the scenes. 1 Peter 5.8 says that we should be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But have you noticed a shift in tactics lately? It's as if that they're no longer trying to hide their intentions or covertly pull puppet strings anymore. Instead, evil has become very bold and is making a lot of noise. And sadly, the average person is okay with it, or they encourage it, or they approve of it, or they don't care either way. All of these are very dangerous, and we should not be numbered among them. So why do you think so many people go along with it? I can see three reasons. First, I strongly believe that the lack of Christian boldness is a big part of the problem. We have an obligation to stand for truth and speak against evil in the name of Christ. The illusion that we have the freedom to choose certain things in America doesn't make them right. The other part of this is what comes naturally to us. Since we are born with a sinful nature, it is natural for us to be this way. But lastly, it's because God has allowed it to happen up to this point. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11 says this, and this is Jesus speaking here, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is he referring to? The Holy Spirit, right? And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So a lot of this sin is because they don't believe in Christ, right? And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. He just called Satan the ruler of this world. So we have to ask the question, is Satan king of the world? Yes and no. Jesus himself indicated that Satan is the ruler of this world, but Christ has also declared himself in the book of Revelation to be the king of kings and lord of lords, meaning even that even though Satan does have a strong influence in this world, Christ is superior to him in every way. Never is there a time that Satan is superior or even close to being equal to Christ. Our Lord, through the Holy Spirit, does elect some people to be removed from the control of Satan, and he hates that. But everyone else that has not been saved is in Satan's direct influence. And so these powers and systems of the world do have a direct influence on the people of the world. So, I mean, can we even be sure that there's a God? I know that sounds like a ridiculous question for me to ask, 
But there are those people that ask. God has revealed himself not only through his word, but also through his creation. Our rejection of this and the resulting faithlessness has caused things to deteriorate at a rapid rate. The best place to understand this is Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 2, verse 11. So I'm going to read this to you right now. And as I'm reading this, I want you to look for any parallels between what Paul wrote 2,000 years ago and what's going on right now. See if you can, you can find the, the parallels here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That suppression of truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they have become futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman, and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They no longer not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. 
Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and don't obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Boom. Mic drop. I don't need to go any further. God said it all right there. Doesn't that sound a lot like what's going on today? Because that's exactly what is happening right now. They have abandoned God, and therefore they are depraved. And do the things that are unnatural, and these things are the result of evil. And we cannot be silent on these things because God has made it clear that he hates these things. And therefore, if we obey God, we should hate them too. We should not be hateful people. Again, we should love the human being. But we will not tolerate or accept the sins that are around us. We should not practice them, certainly. We also should not be tolerant of them but call for their repentance. The next question I have, what is Satan's goal? To answer that, I first have to make this statement. Satan knows the Bible front and back. Did you know that? When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan used scripture against Christ. Yet he left out one little line of it in order to twist its meaning. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. That means that he is acutely aware of what is going to happen to him and his demonic forces at the end. He knows that when Jesus returns, he will be defeated forever. So his motivations are to do as much damage to God's plans as possible before God casts him into hell. It's as if he was saying, if I have to go down, I'm going to take as many people down with me as I can. 
And that's exactly what he's doing. Now, is Satan to blame for everything? No. And let me explain why. When it comes to spiritual warfare, there tends to be misunderstandings on who or what to blame for certain things. There is plenty of warfare that involves Satan. But there is another warfare that exists. Simply because we are sinful creatures. And that's the war with our sinful nature. Think about it as Christians. Just because we are saved, just because we are new creatures in Christ, doesn't mean we will never sin again, right? We will make mistakes. We will go back to the old habits sometimes. We will be drawn and enticed by the things of this world at times because it's in our nature. And Satan doesn't even have to do anything in order for us to sin. He makes it easier for us to sin by making it look more attractive and more appealing. But we will sin plenty even if he took a back seat. So let me be clear in saying that Satan can't make you do anything. You will choose it. He'll make it as attractive as possible, but it's your choice, ultimately. Don't forget that this sinful nature we're born with is very easy to sin with, even without any external influences. However, Satan is very good about convincing us to take action against others or ourselves, And that's why he's called a deceiver and a tempter, because that is what he is. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 14, says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. So, if that is the state of things, and the world is going in a downward spiral, because your average human being has abandoned all idea of God. How are we supposed to respond to this? Well, we have to keep these things in mind as we go into the future topics. First thing is, is that God created all things, including the powers and the world forces that are against us. He did not create evil, but he allows them to exist. Therefore, he is infinitely greater than them, since he is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.16 says, 
For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. In fact, he already defeated them a long time ago, right? He defeated them through Christ's death on the cross. Colossians 2, 13-15 says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. He's defeated them. That's why he has the authority and the power to write what he did in the book of Revelations. He's declared their defeat. We have nothing to worry about. God has won the battle for us. And so if we truly believe that, we can go into this battle, this is what, what it is, it's a battle, knowing that God has won the victory for us already. We just have to trust him in it. The forces of darkness cannot thwart or interrupt God's plan in the slightest. God may allow evil to exist, but he uses it for his good. And ultimately, he uses it to glorify himself. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39 say this, But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, right? If anything deserves an amen, that certainly deserves an amen. Now, we have to be careful, though. While all of this is completely true, that may want us to think that we can just go out there and fight on our own. That is not how God designed it. In fact, two times in the Bible, two, two different people confronted Satan, and they did not rely on their own power, but instead they relied on God to fight. We can only fight with God's power, and we can find that in two different places. One is in Matthew chapter 4. You read about how Jesus was confronted by Satan in the wilderness. How did Jesus fight him? He fought him with the word of God. He used scripture from the book of Deuteronomy to fight him. Jesus was God, and he had the power to say everything that he needed to say. But be, to be an example to us, he quoted the word of God as his means of combat. The other one is found in the small letter 
of Jude, Jude, verse 9, which not even the archangel Michael went toe-to-toe with Satan. It says, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not pronounce, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Let God fight the battle. Use God's power to fight the battle. And know this as well, that we can only defend ourselves with God's power. We don't have the power to fight Satan on our own, even as redeemed people. God wants us to rely on him to be safe. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? We should flee immorality, because even though the Holy Spirit's with us, you know, it's up to him to decide the victory, as well as to give us the strength. We should flee immorality. We shouldn't resist it. We shouldn't argue with it. We shouldn't see how long we can withstand it. We flee from all immorality. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, it requires the full armor, right? What is the full armor? Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Rely on God to get you through this victory. We will not have victory any other way. Lastly, I'll leave you with James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit to God. All things considered, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded.
God has given us the answers of how to fight Satan and of how to fight the issues going on in this world. Now, the Bible has also said in other places that there will be persecution, and things are not always going to go smoothly. But if we truly trust our eternal destination, that our position in heaven is secured, then the things of this world shouldn't bother us, you know? These things are temporary, but our place with God in eternity is forever. So in the time that we have on this earth, we should use it for the glory of God. And I hope that this helps. In the coming weeks, I will be talking about some other things. Um, for example, uh, next time I will be talking about how we are to conduct ourselves in this corrupt world. And we'll be going through the five things that we can do on that. And then the following weeks, we'll be talking about uh, different topics that Christians must oppose. Things such as sexual perversion, this whole wokeism, LGBT issue, um, the lack of sanctity of life, if we fight things like murder and abortion, suicide, all those things are not acceptable. We'll look at modern-day idolatry. We're going to look at why we should oppose the hatred of peoples with all the different isms, racism, sexism, all that. We should be opposed to evil government, and I'll be very specific on that. And we should be opposed to all forms of abuse, gaslighting, emotional abuse, psychological issues. And lastly, we should oppose anything that adds to Jesus. Jesus and. It should only be Jesus. If we add Jesus and anything else, we should be completely opposed to that. But we'll save those for another time. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you got some uh, wisdom out of this. And may the Lord bless you from the reading of his word as you study this. Until next time, I'm Ryan. Take care. Again, please leave me an email. Leave me a comment if you have any questions or suggestions. I'd be happy to talk to you about anything that you are confused about or that you oppose in my ideas. But just know this, that everything that I'm saying is from the Word of God. It's not from me. My opinion has nothing to do with this. I have my own opinion, but my opinion should match what God says, which it does. So if you have an issue with the things I'm saying, your issue is not with me. Your issue is with the Lord. So. Until next time, have a great day, and God bless you.